Let's get started. One of the most profound human desires is to be known and loved. It's deeply true for all of us that we be known and loved because you can give people wealth, you can give them fame, and at the end of the day, they wonder, do people love me for the wealth or the fame or do they love me for me? Am I known and loved? Now, most of the time, we do this subtly. We look for clues. We would never just straight up ask, do you know and like me, except when you're in middle school. That's the time of life when you write the note and you have to really appreciate the boldness that it would take to, to pass a note like that. Our kids started school already, which is mind-blowing, and uh, the first few days of school, there's a lot of trepidation. They've got those new backpacks and those new haircuts, and they're walking into school, but they're filled with these questions. Am I going to be known and liked? Am I going to like my teacher? Will they like me? Will I have friends? Will I be known and liked? Parents with toddlers, about 10,000 times a day, your toddler will say something like, hey, dad, hey, mom, watch this, and then they're going to do something completely underwhelming and you have to pretend to be excited about it but what they're doing is they're wanting to be known and liked is what I'm doing worth paying attention to is it worth noticing is it worth celebrating and psychologists tell us that when people don't get that positive attention then they'll settle for any sort of attention and you've done this or you've run into people who will do this well they'll just settle for any attention and they'll engage in some pretty self-destructive behaviors because it's so valuable to be known and liked it's so important now, some of you are a little skeptical, but think of how it feels to be overlooked and ignored, to be left out, to be cast aside. Have you ever been telling a story? You're sitting around a table at a restaurant with a bunch of friends and you start to tell a story because you want to be part of the conversation and you realize that nobody's listening. They've all turned away to have other conversations and you just kind of fade, but you're embarrassed. Nobody paid attention. So why are you embarrassed? You're embarrassed because it's a fundamental core value for us to have people notice and like us. Parents, you ever want to intervene for your kids when they get overlooked by peers in class? Have you ever felt like that? Now, this may be more important to me than the average person, but there was an incident several years ago where one of my children was uh, completely mistreated by some of their peers, and I was fuming. I don't get mad about a ton of stuff, but this really bothered me. Like, my child matters. They're important, and your children are terrible little monsters, and so I was going to email all the parents letting them know that how awful that they had been to my child and my wife wisely intervened and she said two things she said number one unfortunately this is part of life you will our kids will experience this emotion of being left out or being mistreated or being marginalized but she said the second thing and I thought this was so genius she said it would be more helpful to their development to tell them that their validation doesn't come from their parents forcing others to prop them up. So we're in this series called Four Simple Things That Anyone Can Do That Have a Huge Impact. And, and we're trying to be incredibly practical. We don't want anybody to walk away saying, I don't, I don't really get it, or I don't really want to do it. Because I personally have had enough of the Christianity that just sits around and takes in more information, but doesn't actually go out and do anything. And I think that we as a church family are entering into a new era where what we do is incredibly important and it matters because we do live in a society that seems to be drifting away from things that are important to us. 
But I think many in our world are hungry for something real and something different. And it's going to be so valuable that we Christians don't just say we think these things or say these things matter, but that we actually live them. And I think that we are, and I, I sense in a lot of people in our church family that they're sort of tired of that as well. They don't just want to know more. They want to live more. And I think that we're on the cusp of an era of transformation, even in our church family. So if one of or our deepest longing is to be known and loved, then a powerful impact is to know and love people. For you to know and love people. One of the most powerful things that you can do is to know, and let's not even start with love. Let's start with like, for you to know and like people. Cause some of you are like, you don't know the people in my world, the people in my office. There's no way that I can start with loving those people. Well, let's just start with like, let's just move that direction. I want you to walk through some incidents in, in Jesus' life with me. In John chapter 1, verse 41, it says, The first thing that Andrew did was find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah. It's the Hebrew word for Christ. We found the guy. This is the one. And he brought him back to Jesus. And then there's this weird little phrase. Jesus looked at him. Just made eye contact with him. Just looked at him. Now, I know um, a lot of us would just cruise right past that, but the Bible authors didn't just add fluff. There's not 12 pages of description. They weren't trying to hit a word count. And when it says that Jesus looked at him, it matters. Jesus looked at him, at this guy, Simon. He looked at him and then changed his name, looked at him and saw him. Now, I imagine, I don't know, do you think Peter stood up a little straighter? Do you think he puffed his chest out just a little bit more? Did he feel a little bit? Yeah. I am the rock. You know, the original, right? The original Dwayne Johnson. Did he just feel a little jolt of self-confidence? Now, the story goes on, though, and this is what Presley talked about last week. And by the way, Presley kicked this series off, and didn't he do an excellent job last week? He did excellent. You know what's funny? I had so many people come up to me and say, Presley really did well. And the tone you had in your voice was surprise <laughs> and shock. <laughs> No, he did, a, he did an excellent job. And he talked about the simple invitation that was part of this story. But I want to draw your attention to the next thing that happens, right? In this story, in John chapter 1, verse 47 and 48, when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, so Nathanael's like, all right, whatever, I'll give this guy a try. Philip really wants me to meet him. I'll show up. I'll see what happens. So Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, and he said to him, here, this is so weird. Think about this. Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. The first time he's met him, this is Jesus, right? Changing people's names right off the bat. First time he meets him, he looks at him. Imagine this. Imagine you're just looking at somebody. Here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Some of you are thinking there must be something about that that we don't get. And you would be right. There was a guy in Hebrew history whose name was Israel and who had been known for being a deceitful guy. And so there's a little history there. But something about what Jesus said to Nathaniel really mattered to him. It tapped into something inside Nathaniel. And he went from Jesus who to you are the son of God. And he says this one phrase. He says, how do you know me? How do you know me? He looked at Peter and saw something about him and changed his name. And he looked at Nathaniel and he said, hey, I know something about you. And Nathaniel said, how do you know me? 
This happens over and over again with Jesus. Matthew chapter 10, verse 21, Jesus looked at the rich young ruler. He looked at him and he loved him. We don't, we don't get that sort of attention very often. Luke chapter 19, verse 5, the story says he was just passing through town, but he looks at Zacchaeus in this tree and he's like, you know, I think Zacchaeus needs my attention. By the way, buddy, I am coming to your house. You're going to feed me lunch. And Zacchaeus was overjoyed. This, this attention, this looking, this knowing. And he did it over and over again with lepers and prostitutes and Samaritans and, and tax collectors and Roman soldiers and the homeless and the demon-possessed. I mean, people, the rest of us would have walked along way around. Why was Jesus able to be like that? Why was he able to be like that? Was it just the way he was wired? There was something about his personality, something about who he was. I mean, was it because he was the son of God and he's got some sort of supernatural ability? I mean, because a lot of us barely like the people we're supposed to like. How was Jesus able to look at and know and interact and give attention to all these people that most of us would walk by? I think there's two truths that we want to explore, and then we want to talk about some real practical application. But number one, and this is true for Jesus, and it's true for us, Jesus knew that he was known and loved. Jesus knew that he was known and loved. We only have a couple places in Scripture where it records that God spoke to Jesus, that God said something to Jesus. In the book of Matthew, it happens twice. The first time it happens is at Jesus' baptism in Matthew chapter 3, where Jesus comes out of the water and there's this voice and it says, This is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. It's interesting, isn't it, that God thought Jesus needed that affirmation? This is my son. Isn't, isn't really this what every kid wants, really? I mean, they want it when they do something good, but then they also want it when they fail, before you give them the lecture. This is the kind of, this is the phrase that they want to hear. But there's this other thing that God says, 14 chapters later in Matthew chapter 17, verse 5. This is what he says. This is my son, whom I love and whom I am well pleased. Now this time, he does draw attention to the people around him and said, listen to him. It's so interesting, isn't it? Twice in Jesus' life, the two times that God shows up and says something, again, it could have been the benefit for the crowd, but he audibly speaks, and both times he says the same thing. It's kind of like that classic story, you know, where the husband and wife are in marriage counseling and the wife is complaining that the husband doesn't tell her he loves her. And the husband responds, I told you once, if it ever changes, I'll let you know. You know, you've heard that. But it's even interesting, even in the story of Christ, this, this God who has so much love to give stops in this moment and affirms Jesus. This is my son, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. How many of you would like to hear that from someone just once in a while? Maybe a spouse, man, I love you. You're my husband, you're my wife. I'm, I'm pleased with you, right? Wouldn't that be great? Even from the, your closest relationships. How about a, how about a boss? <laughs> Wouldn't that be nice every once in a while? It'd be a little weird with the boss, but still be nice. Hey man, I love you. I'm really well pleased with you. Again, odd still, but some of you would be like, eh, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. Maybe don't use the word love. Maybe soften that a little bit, but I like it. Generally speaking, I like the affirmation. I believe that God wants you to know that you are known and loved. And this is so important, church. 
There are people in this room, and I may be looking at you and talking to you, that have stuff in your life that you do not believe God could truly, deeply love you. You're thinking, he knows that thought, he knows that action, he knows that behavior, he knows that. And I'm telling you, despite what it is that you have going on in your life, despite what it is that you've done, God knows and yet loves. It's so important that we, we bask in that truth. That is the truth from which holiness springs. To be known and loved by God and then to be able to walk out into the world with a little bit of confidence knowing that we don't have to hide the worst part of ourselves because Jesus has already taken care of those things. It's so important that we know that, that we believe that, and it seemed to matter to Jesus too. The more we are convinced that we are known and loved, the more we are free to pass that on to others because you're not looking for reciprocation. In fact, in this dynamic, somebody could be incredibly mean, incredibly rude, incredibly demeaning, and you're still free to love them. That's the way Jesus could do it. It's not because people were nice to him, but because he knew he was known and loved. And then secondly, Jesus knew that people were the objective. My wife will tell you I don't have a ton of pet peeves. Not, there's not a lot. But she will say that I have a few. And near the top of that list is something about a long line. It could be a long line of cars. It could be a long line at the store. It could be a long line at the amusement park. There's something about a long line that triggers this reflex. And so I'm always looking to get out of long lines because it bothers me. Why is everybody wanting to eat at this restaurant right now? Why in the world, when we get on a plane, do they not load from the back to the front? It's insanity. Why is everyone driving where I want to drive at this moment? And, and what I'm doing is, is I'm looking at these other human beings as obstacles to my objective. And, and maybe you do this too. Maybe you think about going to the coffee shop and you're on your way to work and you need that jolt of caffeine to get the things done that you need to get done today. Give me my coffee, please, quickly. And maybe you're not that rude or that ugly about it, but maybe that's what you're thinking inside. Or a coworker, reply to my email. I have work to get done and I'm waiting on that information. You need to give me the information I need so I can be a productive employee or passengers on a plane. I was literally on the very last seat of the flight that we recently took, the very last seat. I have to wait for all these people to slowly stretch and stand up and then grab their luggage and chat a little bit. And I'm like, move! Where do you have to go, Patrick? Off this plane is where I have to go. I have to get out of here. When we're fixated on our stuff, people become obstacles to our objectives. People are an inconvenience rather than an opportunity. Jesus might say, you're missing the point. People are the opportunity. People are the objective. He might say, Mark chapter 12, he might say, hey, you know what the most important thing that you can do besides love God is to love people, even if you're on the very back seat of the plane, even if your coffee isn't getting to you fast enough, even if that coworker hasn't emailed you back quickly enough. But, but how was Jesus able to love people, right? I mean, have you ever had an interaction with somebody and you're like, Phew, I know I'm supposed to love people, but that person... 
I know I'm supposed to care about people, but what, if they want to be loved, they've got to stop doing what they're doing. They got to stop those annoying behaviors. They've got it. I don't know how, how was Jesus able to do this? If you read the gospels, um, you read a lot of references to Jesus knowing people's thoughts. You know what I'm talking about? Where the text will say, Jesus knew their thoughts. And then he asked them this question and you're just like, man, what a superpower, right? I don't think I could handle it, but what a superpower to be able to know what everybody was thinking. Like, so every time I've read in the gospels where it says Jesus knew their thoughts, I was like, well, yeah, he's the son of God. He was, you know, of course he knew people's thoughts. The problem is the word knowing is actually the word perceiving or, or intuiting or understanding. So it could mean a lot of different things. It's possible that Jesus knew their thoughts, but it's also possible, like my wife, she knows exactly what I'm thinking 99% of the time. So maybe Jesus was in, just incredibly intuitive. Maybe he was just incredibly attentive and he just looked at people and he could tell what was going on. Maybe, I don't know. Maybe it also could be supernatural. I don't know. It kind of doesn't matter because either way, we probably don't have either of those skills. If the deepest human longing is to be known and liked or known and loved, then the most powerful impact we can have is to know and love people. And again, let's start with like. To know and like, we have to pay attention to people. We have to pay attention to people. To be like Jesus, to know and like, we have to pay attention to people. If last week we talked about the first simple thing that anyone can do is invite someone into this relationship with Jesus Christ, you can do it. You have that power. You know people who need Jesus. You do. Anybody can do that. Anybody has that capability to offer an invitation, whether it be to church or a Bible study or a small group or just coffee, just a talk, just a relationship. Anybody can do that. If that's true, then the second simple thing that anybody could do that has a huge impact is just ask people a question. Ask them a question. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. You know um, how small talk follows a basic script, right? How are you doing? Fine. How are you doing? Oh, what crazy weather we're having. Yeah, it's wild. Can you believe it? More weather's coming. That's the basic script that happens. And some of you have deviated from that script accidentally. I remember, I still remember this and I'm still slightly embarrassed by it, even though I shouldn't be. I was at a gas station and the teller said, have a great trip. And I said, you too. And they, they changed the script on me. They were supposed to say, have a good day. And I was supposed to say you too. And they didn't, I wasn't paying attention and they caught me. And it's just like, ah, I still think about that. Five years ago, exactly. I was having small talk with someone that I see regularly but infrequently, regularly but infrequently. And they asked the scripted question, how's life? And what are you supposed to answer? Oh, it's good, you know. But for some reason, I was in a mood that day. I don't know. I don't know what was going on, but I went off script and I answered this guy honestly. I was like, well, actually, here's how, <laughs> here's how it's going. And, uh, you know, that's not, they weren't asking for that. They weren't asking for that pressure. I get that. And I wasn't over divulging anything. This wasn't my therapist, but I was like, just, I was like, you know what? I'm going to answer honestly. I'm going to see what happens here. See where this goes. So we chatted and he said some helpful things and he thanked me for being open. And, you know, he's probably looking for an escape route, but, but that was it, right? That was, that was a brief little interaction where I was just maybe a little more honest than the script normally asks for. 
Five years later, five years later, I'm in the same situation. We're both standing there. You know, we see each other infrequently. And he says, you know, Patrick, I often think about what you said. I'm thinking, five years ago? I often think about what you said. And he said, how is that thing going? Now, it really didn't matter what I answered, what I said, how I responded, because in that moment, I was like, he remembered? He remembered that, that brief interaction where I was a little bit vulnerable? He remembered, not only affirmed it, but then asked about it. And we had another good conversation. Here's this small little thing, this small little moment where the script says, hey, I'm just going to move on from you and go on to the next thing or the next objective. But instead of doing that, what if I gave a little bit of this attention that I have and I gave it to you and I looked at you? And because I can't read minds, I asked a genuine question. It wasn't, how are you doing? Please just say fine so we can all just move along. A genuine question. If time is our most precious commodity, then attention is our most precious currency. To give people our attention. I don't know what it would have been like to be Jesus. I don't know if he saw the sands of time dripping down the clock, if he's like, I got three years, I got to get some stuff done. I don't know if that was the case or not. But whatever he had going on, he did not view people as something just to be moved on from. Let's have this interaction and then let me go. He stopped and he gave attention to people. In fact, one, I, one of the things I think that is most amazing in, in one of the stories of Jesus is um, he was in Jericho and he had gotten this crowd behind him because people were sort of excited. They thought maybe this is the guy. They thought the Messiah was a military commander that was going to come and kick out all the Romans. And so they were getting amped up. They were excited. They were singing songs. He's in Jericho. The text says he's leaving Jericho and he's got this crowd behind him. It's essentially a parade just happening, occurring around him and he's leading them as he's marching into Jerusalem. And there's some guy on the side of the road that hears this parade coming along and then he hears that Jesus is among them and he starts yelling for Jesus. And the people in the crowd are like, hey, stop it, man. Jesus has got more important things than you. But Jesus hears this man. We, we actually know his name. The text tells us that his name is Bartimaeus. He hears this and he's like, everybody stop. There's a guy on the side of the road that's asking for me. I know I've got this parade behind me. I know I'm marching to Jerusalem to my death. I know there's seemingly bigger things, but I'm going to stop the whole parade for this one guy. And he looks at him and he says, what do you want from me? Stops the whole thing. That's unbelievable to me. Man, that's Jesus. Limited time, unlimited attention. And so I, I guess that's what I want to challenge us with, is who is God putting in our path? Who is God giving us to give this attention to, to ask questions, to get to know? And I was thinking about this sermon, and I was like, you know what? Somebody's going to hear this, and they're going to be like, yeah, there's some people I do not want attention from, because there are some creepy people out there, right? So here's my advice. Don't be creepy. 
If someone's looking at you like, I got to get out of here, stop it. You're turned down the creepy factor. You got to figure that out. Don't be creepy. But who is God putting in your path that you can give attention to, that you can communicate the, the knowing and loving of God to them? Some of you are like, yeah, Patrick, I can give a time and attention to people, but I need time and attention. I'm having a hard time. Life is tough for me, and that's probably true. But you know one of the best ways to get over that? is by paying attention to someone else, by giving that to someone else. I mean, when Jesus said it's more blessed to give than receive, I think he was talking about it's for you. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. And so my encouragement, my challenge is that we exit this place and that we be people who are like Jesus, where we look at people. I'm not moving past you just to get on to my thing. And, and here's the signal, an important clue that you should ask, is when you're thinking, I wonder, I wonder. Some of you will come up to me and say, hey, uh, I haven't seen so-and-so at church in a while. Uh, how are they doing? And you know what I will say? Go ask them. Why are you asking me? I'm an unnecessary third party in this scenario. Go talk to them. Sometimes people come up to me and say, hey, they've been having a hard time. Uh, do you know, I wonder how they're doing. Is there anything that we can do for them? You know what you should do? Go ask them. Don't ask me. I'm unnecessary in this equation. Go talk to them. If you're thinking, I wonder, then go find out. Go ask the question. And here's the big thing. This is important because there are many new faces in this room. And some of you are like, I really, I wonder what their name is. You know what you should do? Go ask them. Hey, you've been here for a while. I really should know this. My deepest apologies. What's your name? I'm... Go ask them. Go get to know them. Go spend some of that attention that God has given you on them. I guarantee you, I guarantee you, if you pay attention by asking a few questions, you will be clearly presented with ways to love people. There are people that are moving. There are people that are having surgeries. There are people that are having babies. There are people that, whose relatives have stuff going on. You are going to be presented with an endless menu list of ways to love people if you will start paying attention. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder how they're doing. 